You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. I'm your host, John Scardina, owner of Doberman Emergency Management and former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters. Disaster Tough is our mantra. It combines experience, training, and analytics in order to be successful at any stage within the disaster life cycle. It means being a professional in emergency and disaster services. Doberman Emergency Management lives by this. If your organization needs to fill a gap, please contact us. We can help. Contact info is in the show notes. We also support other products and organizations that will increase your ability. For example, if you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to L3Harris.com. When you think of situational awareness, you need to think of Futurity IT. They are disaster tough because they saw a gap and figure out how to close it by creating the Orion and Athena applications. Situational awareness is all about speed, coordination, and accuracy of information. Futurity IT's Orion app collects and provides preliminary damage assessments and integrates all incident action plan documents with WebEOC. The Athena app allows for planning, contact tracing, and customizable group coordination in every single phase of the disaster lifecycle. The best part? Futurity IT made both applications extremely intuitive. It's so easy to use. Click on the show notes today to schedule a free demo. to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I'm so excited to be back here. Man, I always talk about data analytics. Of course, I had that data analytics background, and I really try to push that hard, super super hard, actually, in, uh, in emergency management. We've had Caitlin Von Steen on here, Von Stein. She's going to get on me for that. And we've had a couple other people to talk about data analytics from the perspective of GIS or from research and development. But this week, we have a special opportunity to talk, to about, talk about data analytics from the perspective of integrating that with an emergency services and emergency management so they can use it in, in real time instead of this GIS unit coming in from the, from the outside. So this is a really special episode because we can talk about that. I'm interview, interviewing Patrick uh, Campion. Oh man, I'm going to screw that up. Campion? Did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Oh, right. sweet. We might have to edit that. We probably won't. So, uh, you know, Patrick's background, Patrick and I talked before, and he has a definitely a data analytics background, and he's now running Preparedness Advisors, and so he can talk about that as well. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Really excited to be on the podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. So, your background, we kind of got connected through Jason uh, up there at SUNY. Jason's been on the show before, and so shout out to Jason. Thanks for uh, introducing us. But you're doing some really cool stuff there in New York. And so let's talk about kind of what you did for the state and then introduce, uh, you know, what you're doing now for your organization. Sure. Sounds good. Uh, and yes, Jason Cradville, thanks for the uh, connection. So shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I started this company, Preparedness Advisors, LLC, uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, but prior to that, I was working for the New York State Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services. Uh, and I was sort of a, a dual role there. I was a preparedness coordinator, uh, but also uh, a data analyst. Uh, I started to 
to see these two worlds uh, merging more and more where I can take some of my analytics background, uh, which really roots in uh, getting a psychology degree and, and taking a lot of statistics classes. Uh, so taking that analytics uh, training that I had and starting to apply it to uh, emergency preparedness, planning, uh, understanding risk and capability uh, gaps, and, and trying to push um, the use of data to help our agency be more prepared, uh, get better information to uh, the emergency manager so that they're able to make more timely decisions uh, in an emergency or in the planning stages. Um, and so taking all that, I, I saw an opportunity to, to jump out and, and take some of the programs we worked on in New York and try to offer them uh, you know, nationwide. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. So I, I like the word timely in there because we were just talking to Eric um, Helpenstell last week and his whole career has been responding to like these really catastrophic disasters, both with fire and oil. And really, like he's kind of specialized, and I think unintentionally, in oil response. And uh, he had this good quote. In fact, I think we shared it recently. Maybe even today we got shared that uh, he's like, time is money. Time is response. Time is geography. You know, preparation is everything. And I really like that. I liked when he said that on the show because it, I mean, it, it really comes down to that, right? Life-saving, life-sustaining operations is about time. And so let's talk about that real quick. In terms of time, there's this conflict in emergency management. We've talked about it a couple of times on here too, but I'd love to, to hear your perspective. You get the operator or you get the emergency manager who feels like he has no time, right? She's like, I have no time. And they're kind of true, right? Like we have no time. You got to act. You got to do something. And I preach that for sure. At the same time, hilariously, you have analytics that says, hey, hold up 10 seconds and I can propel you a lot further. How do you deal with that conflict of go now versus, you know, get ready and wait? I don't know. How do you, how do you deal with that in analytics? Yeah, good, great question. Uh, I think where I, I started to understand the, the needs um, of that, that emergency manager that's really constrained, uh, that has to has a juggling a million things at once, has to report to several different people, um, but but needs that information to continue to go, do a good job. I think where I got an understanding of, of time was uh, working in, in the EOC environment. Uh, the first one I was really exposed to was Hurricane Sandy uh, several years ago, and just started to understand that you know, I have the ability to collect good information, pull good data together, but if I can't do it in a, in a very short amount of time, uh, and, and provide it in a simplified way for that uh, senior decision maker to use, then it's useless. Um, and and so I just started getting better and better at it and finding little tricks uh, and practical solutions uh, to, to speed things up and, and to use tools. And that's what's so great. And I hope we you know, talk about each, each of these tools a little bit is that the more you practice in these tools, you find shortcuts. And you're able to take a lot of information and, and consolidate it and present it uh, in, a, in a useful way uh, rather than I use the word the term brute force it. Uh, sometimes you see people you know, trying to copy and paste a million rows over and, and then get, uh, but it takes too much time to do that. Whereas learning some of these, these practical tricks and tips uh, can really speed up that process and, and get the information uh, to the end user quickly. Yeah, I I'm the same way. And so like when I would if I got deployed to Florida, Texas, New Jersey, California, whatever, 
there are nuances there that are unique. But most of the time, it's really just, I would say 90% of the work, if you've done good preparation, you know what data they're looking for, you know what data they need, and you can automate most of those processes. So you're almost pulling it up in real time, if, if not real time. And uh, you're really only slowed down by the rate of information coming in uh, to be able to update those data sets or to update that information. So um, yeah, that's like a, a really good way to start this off because I could imagine people listening in and say, okay, like you've talked about this a few times now, you're, you're, you're now having the guy who comes on who doesn't do GIS, right? Who does analytics and I want to do analytics. I'm not going to be a GIS guy. So what are the top three things that you would say to them and say, okay, this is where you start. This is what you need to start compiling specifically. Sure. So in starting things off, I think if you, if you have that initial interest in, in data analytics, you really want to get some leadership buy-in uh, from the top, really have someone in your agency that's, that's about it, that's bringing it up in weekly meetings, that's um, setting it as a strategic goal for your agency to, to build a, a data analytics culture. Um, and then, and then start exploring tools, uh, tools that you can use, not just Excel, but, but tools, uh, visualization tools like Tableau, Power BI, um, ArcGIS, all these great tools. Um, start to see uh, what kind of you know, training and personnel you would need uh, you know, to build skill in that area. But when it comes to actually understanding what data to collect, I think it really just takes some brainstorming sessions, uh, sitting down and then thinking, okay, in a really stressful EOC environment or incident command environment, what is that list of key operational metrics or uh, key uh, damage metrics, uh, if, if you're talking that term, that you would you would want to know, you want would want to have ready at your fingertips. You start to list that out, and then come up with some some processes for collecting that uh, in an event, either every few hours uh, at the end of every operational period, and, and just find a way to pull that information into uh, a centralized document. I think the yeah, I think that's great, and probably the way that I would explain it is like the difference between um, like your map book or like the d data analytics that you can get from that versus situational awareness. Like the situational awareness unit, if they're doing it right, that's what a majority of their job is. They are trying to action all the things that incident commander or, you know, section chiefs are going to want, people in the field are going to want and constantly providing that those field updates to them. How many people are impacted? At what level? The shelters that are open. How many? How many? You know, meals are you providing? Uh, where are they going? You know, the physical locations. So you start to pull in all this information, in, and all of a sudden you can start understanding like the scope of your disaster. And without analytics, you really don't know the scope of your disaster, right? You can say like, well, these counties got a declaration, IAPA, whatever. But I mean, that's so wide. I mean, when you look at when you look at analytics, you know that's blown up so much on a map sometimes that you can't really tell. Like, for example, I, I had somebody complaining about um, like, oh, you gotta you gotta make sure that 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 point on that map is exactly right. I was like, you realize that point is ten miles wide, right? <laughs> you know, and so that's why like analytics can come into play where it's like stop stop looking at the visual stuff right now and start looking at like the, the scope of the disaster. And I think that's really what you're saying. Um, 
the other thought I had, uh, and we could talk about this a little bit, is um, training versus response. Response is a great time to be able to get new resources because that's the money there and the, the awareness is there, and so you can get those resources. Great, but it's like the worst time to prove a new capability. I mean, you you can. I, I guess there's a different way to say that. If if you need to stretch the needle and you're trying to do something new and you're you know you're trying to be creative to be able to 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 move the needle forward, great. But in in terms of like, hey, boss, will you check out this new idea that I had? Like, no. Time. Right, right. It's terrible. So, training exercises is great way to to put, bring this up with senior leadership. Let's test it out in a, in a training exercise in an environment that you know you can control, and then show them the validity of it. You are a you're a drone pilot yourself, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. Cool. So. Like that's how I did it with my team on a training exercise. We had the drone, and I went out there, and the uh, you know the boss's boss was like, eh, "It's a toy." And within ten minutes of like seeing like the information we could collect, he was like, "Oh, this isn't a toy." You're like, well, actually, it is a toy, but it's also <laughs> really helpful. Um, yeah, so I'm talking too much here, as per usual, but yeah, good call out for sure, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Bringing up training, uh, I think that's another aspect where you hopefully Nate can can try to improve uh, their use of data analytics uh, is is in those lo- more low stress environments uh, when you do have some downtime from the constant operations and can do some training. Uh, try to actually to develop and and test people's uh, analytic skills. Uh, give them a data set. Uh, you know, bunch of raw data, or tell them, hey, you know, pull pull information from these several resources, uh, pull it together, analyze it, clean it up, and then you have two hours. Present this uh, to me at the end of, of two hours, and yeah. starts to build that that muscle memory of collecting data and and finding what those senior decision makers want to see uh, during an operational period. So hopefully. When that that actual disaster kind of pops off, it's not the first time you're trying to uh, pull together a team that's um, performing those skills. Yeah, and it has real world applications, right? I mean, I, I bet I could list off a few of myself, but like, let's talk about the real world applications of pulling in data. And we're talking about data from all kinds of sources. We're not just talking about. So you know, some people always have these like ideas of like SQL, right, or like the you know these data mining sources. But it can be as simple as just understanding Excel, right? So what are the applications? What are some of the use cases of data and what can it do for other people? Yeah, and great point. Uh, I think one thing I try to push and stress is that simple is better sometimes in the emergency management situation because uh, time is, is of the essence and, and trying to uh, write a lot of code and, and pull together a lot of uh, uh, you know complex equations can be really difficult uh, in a uh, high stakes environment. So simple is better. I think use cases, uh, or can you repeat the question again? I guess use cases. Are yeah. Like what data. are the use cases of like data? Like what could data do for people? Oh, right. Situation awareness, I think is just great. Uh, being able to, uh, understand a complex situation kind of condensed down to, to numbers and, and hopefully visuals. Uh, mm. I think the with all these tools now, being able to take, an Excel spreadsheet of data and then visualize that into just a bar chart, just a, a, a pie chart. Um, 
line graph, and then as you progress a little bit more, building pivot tables that can really uh, analyze a lot of information and then upload that to more interactive dashboards. Uh, you can you can view so much kind of information in a short amount of time with those dashboards if they're built uh, the right way. And mm-hmm. that only makes that decision maker uh, you know more aware of what's going on. Uh, but there's there's now an ability to track uh, data over the the course of the disaster, and I think that's very important too, especially when it comes to uh, the recovery phase. Uh, understanding what costs are going to look like or doing sort of lessons learned uh, reviews. You can able, you have a, a good trail map or a good trail of, of information to look back upon. Yeah, for sure. Like you brought up cost. Cost is huge. One of my like favorite examples of like helping people understand the value of data is not just like the financial, but figuring out what your financial should be. For example, uh, a lot of people haven't heard, uh, you know, if you're not in data analytics, you haven't heard of like R code, like the letter R. In R, you can start to put algorithms together that figures out Q theory. And Q theory for our listeners is essentially saying, like, like let's look at a bank teller. If I have one person coming in every 10 minutes to see a bank teller and the bank teller takes 10 minutes to do it, then you have zero Q, right? Comes in for 10 minutes takes 10 pre- takes 10 minutes leaves and so on and so forth but we know that d- that doesn't happen right people come in two or three people at a time you know there's there's lags all this different kind of stuff so if you had one person coming in every 10 minutes and, and the teller took 10 minutes by the end of an eight hour workday the queue would be five hours and like 30 minutes the last person in line would be waiting five hours and 30 minutes to be able to go see the teller and if you added one more person, one more teller, it would the queue would uh, the max queue would be three minutes. And so, like, just understanding like your staffing needs of like, hey, how many people need to be deployed here? Well, let's figure that out. And so, like, people who get deployment contracts or you know, uh, you know, departments who like put together like what they think the playbook should be for a, a type of incident data can help them understand. So when that planning section chief goes to his boss and says, I need to bring in 30 people. And you know, the incident commander says, ah, I think we can do it with 20. You're like, well, you're going to get hosed or they bring in 30 people and it only needed 10, you know? And so data can really start to shape this conversation of like your assets, not just your financial assets, but that those assets and those, those assets do turn into to cost, right? That cost share analysis. So, um yeah great great call out there of like um like just being able to visualize the information through um you know through analyzing through pivot tables or whatever yeah so let's switch gears here a little bit um and and talk about like the your your experiences because if we we've now framed the conversation of like okay we're talking about data we're talking about the you know it can be used in the field and it can it can impact a lot of different things what are some of the most impactful experiences in your career where you're like, this is why data matters? Yeah, first, I mean, to, to bring up Hurricane Sandy again, I think uh, that was uh, just a huge event for New York State. So I'm from the Albany, New York area. So uh, you know, working uh, for the state agency for several years uh, provided me uh, a lot of uh, 
uh, interesting uh, events uh, to be a part of and, and having New York City uh, within your jurisdiction always heightens the uh, the risk and the uh, intensity of, of a uh, situation. So when Hurricane Sandy uh, started to impact the city, um, time was of the essence. We had to pull in information uh, to get it to our senior leaders uh, very quickly because they were, that was when they were starting to go uh, on the news to brief uh, the media or uh, have to uh, brief all the way up to the mayors, the governors of the state. So uh, they wanted to be able to pull together a data from the field into one to two pages of information. So that was where, and I struggled through that, that first event uh, and, you know, but Don't we all? Yeah. From, right. Yeah. I learned, uh, how to to read the situation a bit better, uh, and so I think that really set me on the path of hey I, I can I can keep refining this skill mm-hmm. I can keep looking at tools that that make me a better analyst in those intense moments and hopefully when I I hand off that product it's timely it's useful and we me and my my team back in the day we we always took a little pride in seeing maybe one of our reports or, or some of the bullet points were being read to the media or read to politics. <laughs> <laughs> the goal, right? You know, is yeah. to, to I mattered. Our, yeah. Oh, yeah, my work right. mattered. Yeah. Little bit. Yeah. Little victories make our, um, our information really useful. Uh, then fast forward, uh, starting to work in preparedness, uh, for New York state was just a really great opportunity. What we did there was we, we actually did uh, a lot of outreach to, our county uh, emergency management offices, mm-hmm. and we conduct in-person uh, risk and capability assessments uh, with them. We'd actually go cool. meet with uh, all the key players from the county in the room, so the emergency manager, the public health official, uh, sheriff, fire, um, and we we talk through these assessments where we'd be capturing uh, data points uh, based on the questions uh, that they provided to our or sorry, the answer that provides for our questions. And by doing this assessment across the state in a very uh, standardized, repeatable way, we were able to pull up all this great data that showed state-level trends of where our major gaps were, what are our highest risks, wow. and then match that up against uh, uh, grant funding uh, challenges. So what, what kind of grant funding uh, were these counties getting and where were their, their biggest gaps? And if we saw that there was some link between not a lot of grant funding, but a really big gap, um, I just thought that's a great way to use data. We, we have the information, we can visualize it and putting that up on a slide, it, it tells the story for you sometimes that rather than you anecdotally explaining uh, the information that you captured. A bar chart can go a long way, save you a lot of breath. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that 10 second answer is a lot better than a 10 page dissertation for sure. Um, so the counties that are, you know, the locations that um, have a large staff, have a, have a lot of resources, they're scared by that, by that answer because they're able to get funding and they know that process and they have the, the staff to do that and they just plow, right? And um, what you're saying is, from an auditing standpoint, a standpoint of where to give resources and where to get resources and, and to, to be able to prove that, um, you just made a lot of counties also really, really happy, 
right? There are a lot of locations, including states. States do want, I mean, nobody wants like a, a disaster. And and those those people who are like, you know, there is this there is this train of thought out there. It's like, oh, if a disaster happens, it can show that I'm relevant. And so we're going to do the bare minimum. And if it, if it happens and like that's, like I like responding. It's stupid, right? I mean, it's it's negligent um, to a point. So, um, what you're saying is like directing resources to the most vulnerable. And if you're direct, if you're always directing resource to the most vulnerable, your essentially your weak places become strongholds, right? And so you you, you have all this additional um, capability on on your um, on your end. So that's that's like talk about like I want to say urban warfare, but talk about warfare one hundred and one or like you know we do cross that boundary a little bit, right? Like in terms of like we're at war with this disaster, right? At a hurricane, and we're going to shore up all these different areas. So um, it's just interesting to think about it like that. So is is that kind of yeah yeah no, go for okay. it no 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 go for it yeah you you made me rethink about uh, some things that I worked on. I think uh, you know, the term grant effectiveness uh, has also been, been thrown around over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something we were, it was always something very hard to, to uh, answer or to, to demonstrate. Uh, but I think that's part of the business of emergency management, right? It's, it's, uh, states and localities get uh, millions and millions of dollars from FEMA each year. And, and FEMA has a requirement to, to Congress to um, to show you know what they're getting out of all that grant funding, and, and we grappled with it, and it's tough to to uh, really demonstrate. But I think tools like local capability assessments um, and trying to identify gaps and then match that up against the allocation of grant funds is a way to get there. Uh, so. Yeah, but it creates, uh, you know, some turf battles between, uh, county governments, city governments that, that are used to getting the same amount of funding each year or are hoping to get a certain amount of funding each year. But, uh, you know, is that the most effective way to use this, 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 uh, these grant dollars or could they be distributed in a better way to really be, uh, you know, buy down on the risk and those gaps, uh, in the most needed county? The role of an emergency manager is always to protect life, property, and continuity of operations. And uh, part of that is making the hard call of offending people and saying, you don't have a risk here. You know, like, you're fine. And to be able to say, actually, you you have a ton of risk. I'm going to help you out. And that political game gets gets really tough really fast. Um, but the best are, are doing it. And uh, what you're saying is you're assisting them so that it doesn't come off as an opinion-based analysis. You're saying, like, <laughs> look, the, the data is just not backing you up here. And so it's kind of hard to argue with that, right? It's kind of hard to say, like, why are you getting millions of dollars to, you know, to, to for your, you know, for, for your dams when you have no dams that are beyond the threshold of, of being in, in the danger zone, right? Now, there is an argument of, like, you know, you want to mitigate when the sun is shining. And I get that. But... You know, versus a community that has 500 dams and they're they're all, you know, they're all beyond that 50 year mark, and they're like, uh, well, what do we do? You know, like, well, let's give them some cash. So let's talk about then. I mean, if I understand that you do analytics and you teach analytics with within different states, 
Do you also work with that grant funding process as well? That's, kind of, that's part of the, the services I try to offer or the conversations I try to have and say, hey, we're, we're building these data, data analytics skills up. Uh, we're, we're trying to understand your gaps better, uh, understand your risk better so that you can spend that money more effectively or you can make the case to get more money. Uh, a lot of times, um, anecdotes only go so far. Uh, but when you collect data in a systematic way and can present it and, and back it up, you might get that extra million dollars or you might uh, be elevated to a new uh, funding level of some sort. So, yeah, pulling uh, data together and, and tying it to grants should, I think, always be part of the conversation. I think the two are, are what we're you know, trying to do is is save lives, save property, keep businesses running, but not spend all possible money and, and drain up our funding uh, uh, in the process. So mm. I think that's really what I try to stress in the conversations I have. Yeah. So like on the Doberman side, what we do is like, we don't really work with them on the grant management side. We get contacted. In fact, we were just contacted again after they got the grant, right? So we don't we kind of work on that up as opposite side once they get the grant uh we go in there we work with them and um we kind of walk through that process with them of like okay what are your requirements what are your gaps and um i, I think it's smart honestly from your perspective to say like hey i get grants and i and i get like the allocation of funds and i can teach analytics and so you guys can be more efficient and when you're more efficient you start hiring doberman because they're the best and uh <laughs> You know, it becomes like this this collaborative atmosphere. Again, I'm all about collaboration and, and adding in stakeholders. I know you and I have talked about that before of like, you know, there's so many players in this game and um, to take like the take your expertise and your expertise is like teaching and, and implementing analytics into an organization, you know, and maybe Doberman's is slightly different when we when we build out plans or we build out these like massive processes for them that uh, allow them to be efficient and so they're able to get more. Um, one thing that we provide is um, like that geospatial analysis. And so like what I really like to do, I, I, it's kind of like on the same end of you uh, as, as, as you're thinking, to be honest, it's like, well, let's go in there, let's provide a hazard vulnerability assessment. It's not a hazard mitigation plan, but we just do that as a complimentary service so that people actually know what their gaps are, right? And, um, but that's like a snapshot in time. That's not, that's just like us being, you know, generous to the communities that we, you know, that we get contracts with. Um, but I think it's also a wise practice for them to learn how to do it themselves and to be able to keep updating it. And so they're able to, to direct resources and they're like saying, okay, like this is, this is a real problem that we have to address or, you know, it's not, you know, and you don't really know what you don't know until you, you start start throwing in the data analytics to do that right so yeah you make a lot of great points there um and always looking to collaborate uh, in the future. <laughs> yeah um, we'll connect yeah, after for sure yeah yeah i think yeah, both of us have this this goal in mind this kind of probably burning passion to, to help these agencies solve problems right to right because we've been in those situations and we've seen how 
something probably could be resolved a bit better with, with better data collection or some better, more informed decisions. So uh, I think that, that's my goal is to, to work with agencies um, and see, hey, you know, what you, you feel like you're, you're doing uh, certain things effective, but what are those, those things that are really slowing you down and how can we uh, apply analysis to, to improve upon that? Uh, another uh, um, interesting thing I, you know, I think that rolls into that in, in terms of efficiency and, and, uh, and producing better plans, better uh, information is, is trying to shorten emergency planning. Uh, processes, uh, just from personal experience, uh, having to write some or, or having to read a lot of mm. very long emergency management documents out there. Um, yeah, you know, it's the bricks. Yeah. You don't want a brick. It's, yeah. It's this idea of, Hey, can we take data and replace, can we replace a lot of those words with data? Right. Can we, we start to use analysis and can we make these plans more concise? So that we're taking a, a 200 page plan and, and dropping it down to 20 pages of writing with a, an analytic tool to go along with that. And, and those emergency managers are, are using that all the time as opposed to maybe reading it once and then it kind of starts to collect dust on the shelf. The worst part is when you start seeing plans and they're not written by people who have field experience and everything's in narrative form. And you're just like having paragraph after paragraph after, you know, just like, oh my gosh, like, give me the five bullet points. That's what I want. You know, uh, we're going to do counterflow, you know, asterisks. We've never done counterflow before. Okay. That's really good to know. You know, instead of like this five page explanation of like, well, you know, the sheriff's department has a legal authority. It's like, oh my gosh, just like, give me the bullet point. And I, I think really like what it comes down to is like what, you know, I kind of talked about this um, the last week um, or two weeks ago with um, Stephen Johnson and Rodney Melsick. It's like, um, like when you really know what you're doing, like that process becomes just as important as the end product, and like that process allows the emergency managers to act and not have to look at their information all the time. But if you're if you're understanding that your process or your processes include a review of like the most current data like that allows you to send resources and a good example of that is where people are moving if your information is from a plan that you haven't updated in you know in a reasonable time and you're pulling in from the 2010 census data and you've crossed now into 2021 which is more than 10 years old with census data should have come out by now then your planning expectations are way off but if your process is to include the most current data of where people are moving and working with um, city planners and that kind of stuff, when a disaster does happen, you're not sending all these preliminary damage assessment teams off to a community that's rural. You know, you're able to set it to like you know the the, the most uh, impacted areas. And so, I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking of like the use cases I've had in my my career, and just I'm like getting twitchy now because I'm I'm thinking about all these experiences. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And so that census data is very important as well. And I think um, the latest, most accurate data available is so useful for emergency managers, uh, especially uh, the CDC puts out, uh, they kind of group uh, census statistics into social vulnerability data, yeah. uh, which there are a lot of listeners are familiar with. But 
Uh, that data can be really useful for planning efforts, uh, maybe not right in an immediate response situation because it's probably a little bit dated and there's probably caveats to it. But in terms of just planning your programs and where to do outreach, uh, where to uh, maybe um, you know invest in, in technology across the state or uh, invest in, in certain operations that will be uh, really useful in a disaster. I think that that data is is great to use. So uh, if, if agencies out there, emergency managers aren't using that data, you know, maybe that's a recommendation. Hey, start pulling that out, see what that looks like across your state, see what the vulnerabilities are, uh, elderly populations, uh, populations with disabilities, all, all these things that could come into play uh, in a disaster, maybe when it comes to evacuations or sheltering. Uh, all, all these vulnerabilities are very useful insights. Um, to keep in mind when when you're responding. Um, there are there are studies done where um, people who are autistic are drawn to water, and so even just even if you're like the the if I was a city planner or if I was working in my local emergency management office for a city, I'd want to know where the bodies of water are. There's a, there's a plan that uh, I worked on oh, maybe, I don't know, it was a while ago, maybe eight, nine years ago, where the firefighters actually, they had gotten training um, by like this really excellent training about how to work with people with disabilities. And, and the law enforcement do is like a disjoint thing. And after that, after they learned all of that, they were like, we want to know where all the bodies of water are in our, our city, because if there's a catastrophic event, we want to be able to deploy some volunteer firefighters to be able to to maybe help somebody before they they drown and um drowning is a, like a huge problem um uh, with you know with people with who are autistic and so uh it's just like just understanding like these different nuances that like you, you don't really think about until you start pulling in like that whole community approach the social vulnerability index um another really easy one is tornadoes you want to know where the tornado is going to go or you want to know where the flood's going to go look for the trailer park it's going to be built in the worst area. They always are. They're cheap land, you know. And so um, that's where you want to start looking at where your shelters should be. Are they? Are your shelters in a floodplain? Are they not? Like, you, you don't want them to be in a floodplain. You know, the worst thing you can have is all these amazing shelters with, with great schools and great schools 500 miles away from, you know, or 50 miles away from where the disaster is going to hit. How are those people going to even going to get there? And so... Like your planning process again changes so much just by understanding data. Um, that's just like what comes to my mind, just like off the top of my head. But yeah, yeah and that, that kind of circles back to the point you made a little bit ago is that emergency managers are, are kind of in a war against these incoming disasters, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of an extreme way to say that. It, no, but right. It's true. It's true. I want to punch the hurricane in the face. That's that's my yeah, goal. I mean, not, you know, like in the most figurative way, like. But to, to plan for that, you need a good strategy. Um, and, and thinking through those scenarios, uh, strategizing how to move those chess pieces around either before the event happens or, or during when the event, uh, hits. So yeah, and in terms of that strategy, data can only enhance that, right? Data pulls in so many more bits of useful information. And if you have analysts that can consolidate it and present it the right way, um, that that senior leader that only has so much time to, to 
think about you know things can can quickly you know get a get an overview and assessment of the, the, the current sheltering situation uh, and apply resources um, more strategically there. So. Yeah, and it, yeah, and strategic. Talk about the you know you brought up media before. You know you don't want to have in some of the media is like harping on you because you put your shelter in a floodplain. Like, hey, did you have to evacuate your shelter? Like, <laughs> you know, and so sure. like there's legal implications. The the memorandums of understanding that you have with the people who are doing that, like all this stuff can be driven by data, and like to the point of your your organization. The best time to figure that out is during preparedness. Like the best time to put all that together is preparedness. So, like, uh, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your company, but before I do, before I get to that, um, I, what I like to ask everybody who comments on the show is if you could change one thing about emergency management, if you could change one thing about emergency management for the future, like that future emergency manager is listening to you right now, what would you want them to do? Don't say analytics. We know that, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what's, what's one super specific thing that you'd want them to do? I just, I, I love efficiency. Uh, it's, it's something that I've, I've grown up in and I, you know, I'm drawn to finding kind of the, the shortest, but most effective path to the solution. Uh, and I, I know emergency management has a, a huge responsibility and a huge kind of mission set. But I think there's so many areas uh, to, to really cut down, trim down some of the, the fat of, of the kind of the mission there. And, Don't talk and, about trimming fat. My wife will be like, yeah, it's a good idea. I'm like, shut up. Oh, yeah, it's springtime. So we're all probably <laughs> working on that. Yeah, swimsuit bod. That, that's my, yeah, it's, it's finding ways to, to make things just more efficient. Uh, so you can use that money for other good things you know not spending everything on, on one little mission but finding a way to spread it out and, and using uh, i did i will bring up analytics but using analytics to, to inform those decisions so yeah you know, that's, that's my big kind of passion and that's what i hope to, to to push as you know in conversations going forward is hey how can we how can we make this uh you know a great product but do it in less time and, and do it with you know more effective use of money. Um, like the I love what you just said. The scenario that I uh, I think of is pulling your headphones out of your pocket. Do you want like that? Like you have to like it's all botted up in a, a knot, and you have to like pulling it apart. And it takes forever. Versus like when headphones are not in a knot, and you're just like able to like immediately listen to what you want to do. Like that's what I think of like when I think of efficiency and emergency management and data. Like if you're if you're basically pulling the the headphones out of your pocket with no with no forethought whatsoever, versus taking a little bit of time and like wrapping it up before you put it away, how much time do you get to save? And how much time over you know replicating that thousands and thousands of times per personnel and with you know you know all the survivors and everything else, it, you can save a lot of time. Um, Krispy Kreme. Okay, this is kind of really funny. Krispy Kreme. Did you see what they like came out with? Donuts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. Because <laughs> trimming fat, right? Because, you know, that's right. like the worst thing ever. Uh, Krispy Kreme came out and they said, we're going to do, um, a, you know, you can have a donut for if you get your vaccination. And 
um, they can't track your card every time. It's not like it's personal information. So they can say it's limited to once a day. I don't think Krispy Kreme thinks people are going once a day. You know, people are going to go get a free donut every day. There are, will be some people like that, right? But most people will just like, oh, if they if they get their shot, they might go get a free donut. But like the weird backlash came out online. And of course, everybody like has to harp on everything you do now. But um, like so I saw a post that somebody um, said, if you got a donut a day, and looked at the calories and he had like no change. Ceteris paribus, all things being equal, no change. You'd gain 15.28 pounds a year from doing that. And I was like, who is sitting down and spending their time like figuring out the data of like, you know, <laughs> calories versus daily input of, of Krispy Kreme? But like, it's a thing, right? And so once you start learning data, you can start kind of having fun with it, right? Like you can right. figure out, I, I think it's actually kind of addictive. I really do. Like, um, once you realize like what it can do for you and how much time and like how, how many great things it, it does for you up to do other stuff, you're able to spend 10 more minutes on Instagram, going to disaster tough podcast, liking it, sharing it, you know, commenting on it, which is what everybody should be doing anyways. So yeah, good call out. Um, all right, let's end with this. I want to end with the, your pitch to States. If you're going to give your pitch to states of saying, why hire your company? Why do it? There you go. I love this. I love, uh, you know, <laughs> we should have led with that. Yeah. Always right. Uh, yeah. My hope, parents advisors, is to uh, get you to use data um, to build better strategies, to be more prepared for disasters um, so that your agency your jurisdiction uh, is ready to go on that that critical day, um, you know, and, and you're not caught flat-footed. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a path to do it. It's it's data. It's asking the right questions um, and improving your decision making. And and I just hope to, to be a part of that and help help you out uh, so that when you're in those really stressful moments, you're you're the calm, cool, and collected one. Uh, you've got all the right information at your fingertips. Um, and, and you've got a culture built around uh, getting the best information possible uh, and, and using it uh, for the good of, of the people you're serving. That's an excellent pitch. Calm, cool, collected. When, when the world is blowing up around you, I think is the name of the game for emergency managers. Stress matters. You have mm-hmm. to be able to make decisions and you have to be able to make the decisions on the best information possible. And I think that's an awesome pitch. And I, I totally support you. And I, and I hope you come back on the show, Patrick. And, um, you know, we, we talk more about this, especially as you roll this this company out more. And you're able to, to say, like, here are the use cases in these different states that are starting to apply that. And um, I think you're going to have a lot of great experiences because of that. So thanks again for coming on the show and uh, for talking to me and um, sharing your experience for sure. Yeah. Great. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, look forward to future conversations. Absolutely. All right. And, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you are listening to Patrick's episode and you want to get a hold of him, what we're going to do is we're going to put his company's website in our show notes. And so you can contact him directly. Uh, it's preparedness advisors, as he'd mentioned, really smart stuff. If you, if you really want to improve your processes and be more efficient, as we talked about, be more timely, look better to the media, look better to your bosses, uh, you know, you want data and you want to, to implement it in the best way possible. 
So it's excellent that uh, you know that Patrick is on the show talking about that. If you appreciated his value, which you should, you should give us a five star rating and subscribe to our podcast. Of course, you can check out uh, more about Patrick on our main page on Instagram, Disaster Tough Podcast. We also post on in, uh, we also post on Facebook and LinkedIn. So check us out there. We're gonna have a video segments of this. So we have lots of different ways to to contact us. But we also have lots of people who reach out to us at info at DobermanEMG.com. Please keep doing that. We love hearing your comments. If you have additional questions for Patrick, I keep on getting the emails. And I, I, like I said, I love the emails. But you know, we would like to be able to see the, the whole community approach here. So if you have a question for him, put it out on social media. Let Patrick answer it directly. And uh, we'll see you back next week. Thanks.